that'll be awesome. Hello, everybody. Her many voices, her many voices, her many voices, her many voices. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Her Many Voices Foundation uh, Lunch and Learn. I'm uh, really excited to be here today with Francoise and talk about My Skin Global. And uh, I think without further ado, I will invite you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the organization that you are here to talk about. Thank you. My name is Francoise Mbabazi. Um, I love my last name because it actually has a meaning. It means peace and kind. Um, oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> Absolutely. I am the co-founder of My Skin Global, um, which is an LLC organization founded here in Denver, Colorado. Um, and really our, our intent, our mission is to, to educate, promote, um, and engage in active global partnerships um, that creates a society that is emotionally and psychologically stable and one that is grounded in the truth about the ills of skin bleaching mm -hmm. around the world. And I, I, I popped up the website here. It's www.myskinglobalspelledout.com if you want to know more about uh, the organization. And you mentioned something, uh, skin bleaching, which uh, I don't know if you want to speak a little bit more about that practice um and why why you oppose it i mean i feel like it's pretty obvious but i'd love to have you summarize it <laughs> yes thank you um so skin bleaching is a practice of lightening your skin um and this practice is is very dangerous um it's very harmful particularly to the young population that is being targeted um, it is a practice of wearing your melanin levels down to look lighter and whiter because it, systems or um, the global perspective of unattained, unattained beauty um, goes to convince us that the more lighter, the more white you are, the more beautiful and successful you will be. And so every year, many young people are enticed into thinking that having that lighter skin um, benefits them, but instead it's really harmful. It's a harmful practice. And so My Skin Global is determined to, to change that dialogue by educating people and affirming that who you are is so much more than just the skin that you are in. Um, and so through educational strategies, we hope to shift the dialogue and instill self-esteem and self-love um, in young people and all of us and through humanity at large. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's painful or, and as you said, toxic. Um, so that, that seems like a, and it's weird, right? Cause you're like, you look at that and you think, well, that seems like something someone would, of course, I mean, immediately not be interested in what, do, what is it that, I mean, you mentioned the sort of larger social issues, but do you have a sense of what motivates a person? Like, is it 
a peer pressure thing or more of a marketing thing that kind of convinces someone, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to try this harmful behavior. Um, Cause I, I imagine somebody just to wake up one morning and say, gosh, I think I'll put chemicals in my skin for fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, that's again, um, another perspective, another way of looking at it. I was personally introduced to skin lightening at a very young age. Um, in Uganda, where the practice is more, you know, rampant than it is, um, that I knew about um, at a very young age, things like, um, you know, oftentimes you are out in the sun and, you know, you get a, my forehead has always been darker than the rest of my, my body. Um, and so comments like, you know, you can look more beautiful if you can wipe off that dirt on your forehead. Um, was always kind of like an okay kind of comment to make, you know. Um, or if you can get rid of those dark, you know, pimples on your face. Um, or, you know, regular comments that would come up by little boys, you know, kind of come about um, being more attracted or interested in much more lighter skinned people, girls uh, of our age, was another thing that really um, kind of shifted my thinking around skin bleaching. I was also born um, in a kind of hybrid family uh, where my, my father was of a darker, a much darker skin tone and my mother um, was a bit lighter, kind of like my skin tone um my dad is still alive i said was but is still alive um and so just some of us are born a bit lighter and others are a bit darker um and so because of that combination within my my family itself i was really i got to learn from my own sisters who are more lighter and some that are only one who is darker who really hated herself because and st she still does um, because of the fact that she was darker, you know, much darker in her own skin tone. And that practice, like just the observe, observation, observing on how she would look at me and the comments she would make about, you know, how beautiful you are, you know, what's the point of me going to school? I'll never be beautiful like you. I'll never be economically sound like you. I'll never get a job of my dreams because I'm ugly. And so in my opening remarks, I kind of hit on something that I call unattainable beauty standards. And those are things that you have seen um, on televisions, in social media of all kinds, like majority of black girls, in, you know, actors and actresses that all these girls are looking upon have somehow or have not denounced the practice of skin bleaching. So enhancing the skin tone seems more like the norm. You know, it's more because of colonial mentality, because of all the slavery mentality, because of the, all the white supremacists, because of all the ideals that have been set up to be leave or to, you know, it, it, I call it brainwash. It's honestly, we've been told to believe that we are less of. Um, and that goes a long way. It goes a really long way. And so because of that, everyone, um, every darker skinned girl wants to be whiter to fit the standards 
to be beautiful, to be acknowledged, to feel that profile of like economically, you know, sound positions. You'll get a great job. You have a competitive opportunity if you look a certain way. Um, and so because of that, every girl, you know, in the BIPOC community wants to enhance their skin tone. Um, and so one more thing I'll share is that I, I have a nine-year-old girl, black girl, um, at age two and a half, um, she was asked by her peers why she was black. And she was also asked why her skin tone looked like pee and poop. <laughs> she came home crying. Yeah. That had to be so devastating as her mother to experience yeah. that. Absolutely. It still is devastating to yeah. think about that today in the eyes of every black girl that I see. You yeah. know, my daughter will resent school for a minute. She didn't want to, she didn't want to go back. She didn't yeah. want to interact with kids of her age who were calling her her skin color, pee and poop. These are innocent children. The idea that we we'll think and name it that way is a good reason to behind this whole process. You know, yeah. and so that was really honestly the birth of my skin global. Like all the experiences that I've had from childhood, what I've seen with my sisters, my cousins. I call myself a global citizen of the world. And every country I have been in and seen the practice continues to be the same. It doesn't change. And so when I when we when we see and welcome our children coming home and seeing themselves in the image of pee and poop, I think the world needs to stand now. You know, yeah. so yes, that's um, a long answer to your question. <laughs> um, but no, yes, you. that's that's a, that's that is what is behind um, this practice. Mm -hmm. It is those unattainable beauty standards. It's the appearance. It's the attraction. It's the style. It is the dissatisfaction of who we are in our own skin tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's very, very powerful. And it's horrific, actually, that anyone, any child would be made to feel so dis like uncomfortable. And I know, and, and, and shamed almost for something that is just simply a part of who is beautiful. Like, they're in that. And I know it's a more common practice than anyone wants to believe um but uh i'm so glad that you that you're there for your daughter um and that you started this for so many daughters out there i i wanted to share tawani i don't know if you know tawani clark she uh it's she's a yes. local amazing person that we get to work with sometimes that she's here today and she said not every girl but many agree many a sad fact and this is a powerful it's power, painful to witness our child going through such discrimination and and pain and then she said and i would add hair to skin tone and um i mean there's a like i appreciate that what you're doing and the fact that there are at this point some tiny awarenesses i think making their way into the larger cultural understanding that um that this isn't isn't simply a cosmetic concern right like this isn't about oh i i want my you know my child to 
to like have a cosmetic fix. This is about an actually painful act of discrimination that leads to these behaviors that seem inevitable when they're put in this situation to try and, as you said, achieve an unattainable standard that is not healthy and it's not realistic and it's actually not a beauty. It's, it's, it's diminishment in the form of like a motivation that is not for real. It's not the people that are actually dealing with it. So thank you for taking the stand and doing this. I imagine that, you know, it's a lot of work <laughs> that what you're up to. Um, and then I had a question from uh, uh, Alicia. How, how do you feel Western media impacts this issue? Or do you have a, a position on that? Yes. Um, the Western media has a lot to do with what's happening around this issue. Um, one of the things that I believe to be true is that the world follows the trend, the Western trends. Um, and when you don't stand on a particular issue and, you know, like this one um, and denounce it, and when you promote certain images on national television um, that seem a certain way, that fits a certain criteria, that leave the other behind, um, that is not centered around humanity and human kindness, um, that is not <laughs> you know, instilling self-love and empowering our young people to follow the path of skin positivity and self-love, then you're part of the bigger problem. And, you know, I look at America and, you know, not only just America, European beauty standards, I guess is what I should say. Western media, Western cultures, Western traditions. Um, the tone was set way back, mm -hmm. you know, that these, the standards are so that you're, if you're not white, you're not beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so that's why what we see in the media is that people enhancing their skin tone to fit the profile. Yeah. Even those who have the means to thrive just the way they are, are mm -hmm. enhancing their skin tone because of the media and what the media has set us to be, to believe, to, you know, to, to, to kind of adapt. And if you don't adapt to that, then you're left behind. And so, yes, absolutely. When our kids watch TVs, when you think about those dolls, you know, the dolls that are projected as sort of the means to identify beauty. When you set the kids in a room, you've seen it. It's been tested where, you know, three different shades of, of dolls were presented to a very young group of, of, of babies, of kids, really, you know. And the whitest of all, the blonde or the blue eyes was selected as the most beautiful one. And the darker skin, you know, uh, doll was the the ugliest. Hmm. Even that has been so. That is the brainwash that ought to change. Mm -hmm. That's what society makes us believe that it is, mm -hmm. you know, the beauty. And so, yes, absolutely, the Western cultures and traditions and media has a lot to do with this. That's why uh, FDA has to stand strong and denounce this practice. That's why. Um, you know, UNESCO, the world platform, needs to stand strong and denounce this practice. 
This is why global leaders of the world has to come together and be the voice for change, particularly global women leaders of the world. This is their calling. They need to stand up and denounce this mess. It's dangerous, it's toxic, it is harmful to the overall health well-being of our children and the world at large. It needs to stop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you. Well, and as, as I think you're familiar that one of the core tenants of the Harmony Voices Foundation is whatever I do for another, I do to myself. Whatever I do to another, I do to myself. And and so while this is an issue that is primarily and more immediately felt by darker skinned people, it affects us all. Like we are all impacted when someone in our community thinks that they need to harm themselves in order to be enough. And so it's really important to recognize that this is a community issue that unfortunately is primarily put on to the members of our global community who are darker skinned, but it's actually something we need to take responsibility for from this position of being a white person or being in dominant culture. And that's what I appreciate about Alicia always pointing out that like we are all interconnected. This isn't just about someone else over there. This is about all of us. Um, so thank you for being here to share and, and help us educate uh, other people about what's happening. Um, I, so I'm not Myrna. <laughs> we advertised that Myrna was going to be here. She often does, is. And she's a really good friend of Francois. So she's very disappointed that she had a work obligation come up. But she's watching from her airport before she gets on her plane. And uh, she so I want you to know she's here in spirit, at least. And uh, she said uh, she had a couple of questions because she knows you really well. And that uh, one, uh, how do you feel African culture plays into this as well? Uh, or is that something you feel comfortable speaking to? Um, of course. Okay. Of course. Well, um, it's, it's, uh, Mana, thank you for it. Mana is actually the reason, um, I got on introduced to you guys to how many voices. So okay. thank you, uh, Mana. And thank you for making the effort to joining us, um, for your traveling. So yeah, um, African cultures, um, so just like majority BIPOC communities and traditions and cultures, um, the fact that majority of these uh, developing countries are patriarchal societies um, and the expectation on the girl isn't so much to work, to thrive, to um, be an independent entity but to belong to and be taken care of by a male figure um, is sort of perpetuates the problem. So if you are to be married to a certain class, because this had, it is, it fits in every economic profile, classism is another thing that is also attached to whiteness um, and economic well-being. And so if you're to marry someone of, you know, an educated guy from a certain family or you ought to look and fit the profile, this is why this practice is so rampant in really like, I want to say developing countries, but again, you got to recognize it's a global pandemic. You know, if when you look in India, when you look in Asia, when you look at, you know, Africa, the numbers just go up. Um, 
And that's because we all are wanting to feed the profile for that one guy um, that is economically sound, that is going to, you know, oh, what if I don't feel the profile? What if I'm not beautiful enough? I can't compete on eight, two, three, four, five levels. Um, and so the culture absolutely perpetuates that in that um, you're not beautiful. Like I know that in Uganda where I was born and raised, women particularly are reaching themselves so they can, you know, attract that one guy. I would say another thing though, like in Rwanda where I'm from, uh, the queens and kings were all darker skinned, you know? Again, that's where like colonial mentality plays a part because then the colonial mentality shifted what beauty looked like because mm -hmm. then, you know, <laughs> the Tutsis, you know, were started, we started being divided based on the features, you know, uh, what features you were, you were in. If you were tall and skinny and long nose and all this, then you must be really, you know, close up to white and that makes you more superior and smarter and all these other things. And so absolutely to answer your question, um, every culture has something to, to do with the way we see ourselves. Every household has a responsibility. Every mother, every father has a responsibility to shifting this, this crazy practice. Um, and we have no reason to believe in other practice other than ourselves. Kind of what you said about how many voices. Um, honestly, that, that self love, that self-acceptance, that love for humanity, that confidence that up, upholds respect for all mankind ought to be grounded in our traditional cultures around the world. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case today. It's not. No. Um, thank you. It, do you have any, uh, the other question that Myrna suggested is, is the story of how you were raised, is that something you feel comfortable because it feels like it fits here in terms of what you're just sharing or the story it, of how I was raised. Yeah. Is there a way in which you were educated? I know you had the experience with your sister, but what, what helped you to see that past mm -hmm. that expectation for yourself? Was it? It is. Um, it was really mostly at a young age about my sister, my young sister who was of a darker skin color, um, who one afternoon looked at me and said, I was giving her tough love about, you know, why do you resent school so much? You know, and she goes, Francoise, what's the point? What's the point of going to school? I'm ugly, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, there's no point. I will never be beautiful like you. Um. <laughs> and as you said before, that beauty for a lot of women in, was leading then to their ability to make a match. So it was a long, it wasn't just a, a moment. It was a, a lifetime of, of fear in that one statement. Yes, yes. and and so... I, my first attempt to, to like, so I, you know, at age 14, I broke out and I had pimples mm -hmm. on my skin. And um, my older sister, Rose, who was very light skinned, 
um, took me to a clinic and got me a little tube called Pimplex. Um, and this Pimplex would sort of erase the, the scarring of the face from those pimples, but the pimples kept recurring. And so I kept using it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that it was actually lightening my, my face. And mm-hmm. so my face looked more different um, than the rest of my body. And that's what my sister was reacting to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she say that, I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, oh my gosh, um, my skin, my face looks different. Um, and she's like, yeah, you're beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. And so for her, I felt responsible, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt responsible that maybe I was the reason why she hated herself, you know? And so I had to, I had to stop for her. I had to stop for her. But here's the thing, like, because of all those pimples, you know, keeping, they kept coming back. And so I kept kind of doing this little thing where I would put a dot on the pimple. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, but most of all these things are because we're not aware. Yeah. We're not educated about what they're kind of like what what the effects are. You're just given a thing as a kid and you're using it. And then every girl is passing on a tube. You can always look more beautiful. Yeah. Regardless of how light you are, you can always look more beautiful. And mm-hmm. so there's a tube every girl has for morning and evening. And you just use, I never use those morning and after one, you know, evening ones, but I use the pimplex. The thing is, it's like this, everyone, for me, honestly, what I think of when I think about skin bleaching is that everyone, every one of us has a story to tell when it comes to beauty and beauty standards, Mm -hmm. some more than others, for sure. Those who are practicing should not feel ashamed. You know, it is, this is not about shaming. This is about a coming together mm-hmm. for us as a people, for us as a society, for us as BIPOC community. Like, honestly, no one should be ashamed. No one should feel less of because yeah. of the color of your skin. And like I said, all these practices that are happening is because we're so unaware. It's those cultural traditions that have bound us that we don't question. You don't mm-hmm. question, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like you just do it because you've been asked to do. In India where people are going blind because mm-hmm. of this practice, it's mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of lack of awareness and cultural indoctrinations. Mm-hmm. And it has to come to an end, you know? This mm-hmm. is not an African, Eastern, Western, whatever. This is a global cultural practice of colorism that must come to an end. Yes. You know? It is all looted in racism, you mm-hmm. know. There's no any other way to describe this. It has to end. And so I don't know if I answered your question, Mana, but... Um, yes, you did more than is very powerful. And uh, I want to add also, Tawani uh, said, uh, the mainstream global narrative of beauty is too, too narrow and primarily Caucasian-centric, which, you know, obviously very true. And then... Um, the Myrna was saying also as a as a white woman, the cultural influences are about a kind of beauty, but the cultural influences for black women are significantly more extreme. Um, and so I, I also think it's a message that can resonate with we all know 
that there's a way in which we feel not enough because of those narratives, most of us. And this is like, obviously amplified for BIPOC women in a way that just needs, like you said, needs to be stopped. We need to shift how we talk about beauty and how we present beauty and how we understand that, you know, sometimes I want to get dressed up, but that doesn't mean it has to be about other people, right? Like I can, I can get dressed up because I want to feel my own experience of my clothes or my body or whatever. It doesn't have to be to meet some other person's unattainable standard. Um, Alicia uh, had a question. Uh, are, are boys and young men experiencing this type of pressure as well or something different from what your experience and perspective is? Obviously, we don't expect you to know everything, <laughs> but <laughs> what you what you have seen. Yes, I definitely don't know everything. Um, <laughs> but well, sorry I put that much pressure on you. <laughs> what I have seen is that you know, yes, boys feel the same way in some countries. They are practicing just as much. But globally, majority of the practice is within Black BIPOC girls, mm -hmm. um, girls and women alike, more so than men, for sure. But it's not an exception. Yeah. Um, and then one of our listeners just said, a gentleman, Ed, since the mainstream media is brutal, it makes me wonder if Trevor Noah were darker, would he have been chosen for The Daily Show? Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I, you know, it's a hard question to answer, but it is, it's unfortunate that that seems like a legitimate question, I guess, that we, we that shouldn't be, as you know, that the, you know, how good is he at running a, a, a funny show? <laughs> like the rest of it is not that important. Um, well, yeah. So. Trevor Noah is amazing at what he does. Um, yeah, he really is. And yes, the question is legit. Like, would he actually qualify if he wasn't of a mixed race and he wasn't as, you know, lighter? Uh, would he still be as funny as he seems today? Would mm -hmm. he appeal to the majority of who he appeals to today? Would the world be listening to Trevor Noah today? Um, it would be actually interesting to hear from Trevor Noah because 57% of this skin bleaching practice is happening in South Africa. He might mm -hmm. have a personal experience or at least knows of some, someone or some things mm -hmm. um, that are happening on the ground in South Africa. So, so what I'm hearing is Trevor Noah needs to get involved with My Skin Global and to, to uplift this whole procedure. Uh, <laughs> so somebody out there make that happen. Uh, <laughs> And then um, Myrna also says uh, that she learned from you about some nursery rhymes that were taught to reinforce some of these ideas. Uh, do you recall any of that or that she's referring to? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> makes me want to cry. Um, do you need to pause for a moment? I don't want to. <laughs> no, no. It is. Um, it is really about again instilling self-esteem um and instilling self self-love um it is I, I can always share i can um send you some of those this probably wouldn't be as you know i it wouldn't be um in the now but i don't remember them um word to word but it's really about you know telling you affirming the existence of a girl um it's affirming the existence of a black girl 
it's affirming um, a girl's name, a girl's culture, a girl's beauty in alignment with those that we see on the world stage. Um, so that you can begin to see yourself from a much bigger perspective and know that you can and you will and you're capable, you know, and that your world is now limited by the skin that you're in. Um, yeah, it is about mankind. It's about self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so uh, you've mentioned many, many things that you're working to overcome in terms of the, the barriers to getting this message out there. What do you, what do you tend to, do you feel like people are responsive to this to, and, and are willing to take an action or do you have to do a lot of education? Like, how do you move from, I have this information have to getting, getting them back? Yeah. Well, we're, we are very small right now. Um, and people and groups that, um, I have been able to, to, to have access to and speak to understand the, um, the critical, um, message behind this and the reason why we're fighting it they get it fully and completely um but again being a small organization a startup organization if you may say an organization that has no uh financial uh stability right now um we don't have the platforms like how many voices now we do but um <laughs> to speak from uh to partner with we're seeking those partnerships we're seeking funding we are hoping to work to really ensure some level of political will and uh you know uh and and really continuing the conversation normalizing the conversation um kind of really doing a lot of education and advocacy work um, that makes people understand the implications of this practice from, you know, social, mental, psychological effects um, of skin bleaching. And, and, and really like, you know, again, putting, keeping the conversation going, um, you know, keeping the pressure on, and really welcoming everyone, every one of us, like you said, um, has, you know, has a story to tell. This is about a human humanity. This is about all of us together. Um, and it's the only way we're going to be stronger. It's the only way we're going to reach those that I don't have access to. It through all those strong, uh, through those strong and sustainable relationships. That gives me access to be where I don't have access to. Mm-hmm. That you know opens up the door to funding. That opens up the door to legislators. You know to the global political world to, to have an opening for this conversation to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so those those are the challenges that we're having. And I think the other thing that is key is really, you know, they there's a very strong tie to skin bleaching um, from environmental perspective. But the data, there has not been enough data or interest 
um, to actually collect data that pertains to skin bleaching and, you know, the mental health, overall health, or anything. There is, you know, there's really lack of data collection that ought to be to be done to support um, elimination of this practice. So that's again another area of interest, like who is actually doing what and who can we potentially partner with to bring this to light. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, and I know that, um, you know, the Harmony Voices Foundation has some different school programs and you are working on a school curriculum, I understand, for educating yeah. or is that, um, so maybe we can partner, but uh, I know Alicia would love that as would I, it, what, what is this curriculum that you're working on or, and, and how does that, do you have places that you are already developing or delivering it or how's that working? Yeah, so like I said, this this curriculum is focusing on educating young people um, and really ensuring that no young person um, is using, continues to use skin bleaching. Um, we are committed to we, we, the curriculum is starting in middle middle school. Um, well, we need to get it funded first because it's a kind of a pause right now. Um, but it's really looking at the, the past, present, and future impacts of colorism. Um, it is looking at you know, um, empowering students on the pathway to skin positivity and self-esteem. It is talking about self-acceptance and self-love. But more importantly, it's talking about the skin that we are in. I have not, not once, I have a master's degree and I've gone through every educate, you know, every level of educational system. I've studied in Africa, I've studied in here in America. I have not seen a curriculum that talks about the ev- evolutional adaptation of our color, our skin color colors. It has not been done. This is one of the things that we're focusing on. We're looking at colorism. We're looking at the skin we're in, you know, we're talking about that, you know, uh, self-esteem and self-awareness. And we're also looking at ways we can ensure that the, we're doing this in an out-of-school program because um, schools have been really difficult to, hmm. to partner with. Um, and so we're thinking as soon as we're able to cover and to support this curriculum development, um, <clears throat> that it could potentially be implemented in out-of-school programs. And soon after that, as long as it's been tested, implemented, that phase, the middle, um, the middle stage informs the high school. And once that is done in the second year, informs the elementary school. And so it is in a three-phase curriculum, middle school, high school, and elementary school. And with that, after that, we can actually partner with states, with countries at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were adapted based on the local needs, but the vision ought to be the same. The practice, the intent, the, 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 the vision behind it is really disrupting this mess. Um, <laughs> You know, and so those are the educational strategies that we, we're using is really, you know, working through this curriculum to make an impact by educating our kids about who they are, number one, 
before we can even look at anything else so that they grow up. Like my daughter would have to understand who she is by the time she goes to college. There should be no confusion about who she is. She should not have, you know, any girl should not have to look at the other to define who they are or give any other person the permission to define you um, because you're confused of the skin by the skin that you're dressed in. Um, so this is, it's a big mission. It's a lot of work. Um, and it's definitely work that I and my skin global team cannot do alone. Um, right. We need partners like you and yes, everyone else around the around the globe. Yeah. We all rise together. And, uh, I will say uh, over a decade ago, I, I was working in a social justice community and there was a, a big movement to talk about what they call was centering, where you say, for example, if we make it so that young black girls in schools feel that kind of confidence that you're talking about, that comfort in their skin, if we create environments and programs that do that, everyone else is likely to as well. <laughs> because if we take the folks that are being the most uh, burdened and stigmatized, and we create an environment that supports and uplifts them, then it will also uplift concentric circles outwards. And so it's it's that, once again, that saying, like, the more that we do in this practice to, to address this, this discrimination and this cruelty that is being enacted, the more everybody's going to benefit as well as these people who are being unfairly burdened at this time. So it's, it's a, it's both the right thing to do and the best way to do it. <laughs> and I'm so thank you for that. Cause so many other people are going to be benefited and hopefully you'll be able to, you know, obviously uh, Alicia says uh, you're very inspiring <laughs> and, uh, and I agree. Thank you. It's such a, a powerful thing that you're doing to, to help our, our young people and the world will be better. Like so much harm comes from wounded people. And, and how can you not be wounded when you're not, like you said, you're not comfortable in the skin that you're in. Um, so thank you for, for all of us that you took this on. Um, how do people get involved? Let's say somebody is watching right now and this is the first time they've heard about this. Obviously they need to be donating to you. So let me pop your, the website up again, cause that's going to make a difference. Um, and if you go there, there's a, I think there's a, a way to sign up for your newsletter. Um, yes. Is that correct? Well, no? yes. Um, I'll remind people before I say where you can go, um, find, you know, more information and how to join us. Um, it is myskinglobal.com. Um, you can donate there. You can share your story. Um, you, you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I think my LinkedIn is, um, is uh, linked on there. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to remind everyone listening um, that this is a very dangerous practice. Um, I want to tell you that it is causing um, a lot of kidney damages, liver, failures are happening, depression, anxiety, psychosis, brightness, skin decoloration and skin falling. Um, it is now started to, they've started marketing um, the before and after of babies 
uh, after they, <laughs> I guess you put products on babies. Um, it is affecting the unborn babies. It, I cannot begin to describe how harmful this practice is, you know, but yet we still continue to practice it. I will invite all of you to think and to work with me in defining what that is. Why do you, you know, to me, I'm thinking when you're dying of kidney failure or liver failure, are you still beautiful on that dying bed? You know, if we can only think about that, you know, when you just turn 30 and you look at yourself and everything that you have done to lighten your skin has put you in a position where you feel like you need more surgeries and more creams and more injections, are you still beautiful? When all your melanin levels are worn off because of the harm you're inflicting on yourself, are you still beautiful? At what cost? What is it going to take for us to stop? It is projected to be $34 billion by 2023. Here in America, it's at least $86 billion wow. that is spent on skin bleaching and injectables. What is he going to take? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Those are really good questions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see if there's any, lots of folks have been commenting and, um, um, Myrna also pointed out it's really important to tie how damaging bleaching is to the environment, especially yes. given this increased global commitment to saving the planet on a global level. Um, and it, so, so yeah, so folks definitely go check out the, the website and sign up, maybe uh, pop a small donation in there. Uh, get involved, volunteer, pass the word on. And I'm confident that we'll, we'll have you back. But if you have any questions uh, before we close, um, otherwise, um, you could just ask a little bit more about like, what's your next step? You know, you're, you, you need to get funding for this curriculum. Um, what's the, what's the next step in, in making that happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, our next step, yes, for sure. Um, so we're seeking funding uh, from various Denver-based, uh, Colorado-based foundations. Um, and so we are writing, I have a team uh, of volunteers mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that are writing those grants um, that believe in the mission and vision of this organization. And so as soon as we, we find, we secure the funding for the curriculum um, and we're able to, you know, to support our curriculum writer, then um, we, will, we will pilot and implement this curriculum. The piece to that that, is, that I'm engaged in right now is identifying those partners, um, mm -hmm. you know, those organizations that are doing out of school programming, um, mm -hmm. that 
have a mental health lens to it because, and they have to be BIPOC. They have to understand what this issue is from within. Um, yeah. Have to understand it from within. And so, and really being committed to breaking those chains um, and strongholds that are holding us, uh, you know, in a different, in a wrong place. And so we are identifying partners, seeking funding. Um, and then the next phase is really to, you know, pilot and uh, implement that, the curriculum. Um, we also hope to continue as funding comes through um, to be able to, to make those uh, troubles and, you know, collect data and identify other, you know, partners on a global basis that we can partner with. Um, and lay some groundwork for when that curriculum is ready for piloting in different parts of the world as well and adapted. Um, and I also hope to be working to build relationships with our elected officials and kind of moving the needle and beginning the conversation. Um, but I also want to normalize the conversation. I want people to share their stories, regardless of what it is. You make a difference by sharing your story. We must all come together um, and hear ourselves and create a space that is conducive and, you know, and the welcoming of all different walks of life. Because we are all dressed in a different, in a different skin tone, but we are all people. Yeah. We are all people. No, and, and that's something that it, it bears repeating. I mean, it's a very simple truth that is we all only know our experience until we engage outside of that. And so there's a lot of folks who would be, I think, it would help them, like you were saying, if they if they could hear those stories and understand what's actually happening here. This isn't a simple, you know, a simple cosmetic thing. This has a real impact on on people's lives and their health, as well as our environment. And it doesn't have to be this way. And we can work together to change it. But it is going to take the whole community. It can't just be the people who are deeply affected uh, or primarily impacted immediately, because everybody's affected by it. But the BIPOC women and girls are affected by it immediately and most harmfully. And they can't be the only ones taking up the burden to address it. We have to work together. Um, this is not, that's not fair. I mean, it's too much. Um, and so those stories can help people, I think, to get out of their own, like they can get a little bit that limited view and to hear and understand that larger experience. So thanks. That's a, hopefully people go to the site and, and see what they have there. Are you a nonprofit? If people donate to you, do they get a tax benefit or? That's a great question. Um, so we are an LLC organization, but we have um, a fiscal agent in Center for Social Creativity. Okay. Um, which is a nonprofit organization. So that's typically the partnership we use to seek uh, um, funding from our local foundations and others who need um, that tax deductions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I imagine a world in which this is a conversation we don't have to have again. And I hope we get there soon because I, I think there's so many different kinds of beauty and as a, and, and by trying to make it just one, you know, bleached out <laughs> thing, we're missing this whole spectrum that exists that we can celebrate. And I, I love that. I love that you are part of creating that. And um, I imagine that for all of us. Um, 
And will you come back and join us for Earth Day? <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and uh, so let's see. I don't see any more questions. Is there anything else that that you want to leave as a final message for people, um, or a way but that they could get involved? It's. I just want to say thank you so much for this opportunity to be here and be with you um, on this on this amazing day. Um, what I want to say is that yes, um, definitely check us out on myskinglobal.com and just know that you are beautiful just the way you are. We are all beautiful just the way we are. We don't have to change a thing about who we are but celebrate ourselves and our existence. Yeah. Thank you. And our differences too, because what brings us together is much bigger than our differences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it has so much to learn. I feel like every day I learn something new and it's, it's beautiful to, to have the opportunity to, for all the same, you know, (laughs) no, we never learn new things. Um, and then I, I will say in a couple weeks on, uh, Exactly 15 days from now, we're going to be doing um, Alicia and I and whoever wants to stop in a little uh, live stream for Giving Tuesday to, to do some fundraising uh, for Harmony Voices. And uh, we hope that you will join us for that and stay uh, tuned on our newsletter. And um, what a gift to have you here today, Francoise. We're so grateful to you for sharing your mission and your heart. It's very moving. Um And thank you, everybody, for joining us, our listeners. And this will be on Apple Podcasts, and it will stay on YouTube. So if you didn't, if uh, you want to share it with folks, that's going to be very easy. And uh, we'll see you all in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much, Alicia, for having me. And for all of you for listening and for how how many voices for creating this space for people. And thank you to Alicia for supporting us <laughs> and the Harmony Voices Foundation. <laughs> All right, everybody. Bye. See you later. Sure. We will have our story. We will sing our song.